0: So you've got the one about, uh, I said I'd stay, now I'm not, yeah, and it was true then, and I've changed my mind, Simon
1: well, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Well, with just two weeks until voters go to the polls in a referendum to decide whether or not we radically change the Constitution to provide special powers to one race of Australians, the sudden resignation of Victorian Premier Dan Andrews pushed the voice off the front page. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Lyle Shelton. It's great to have your company. In a moment, I'll speak to an Indigenous man who grew up in the Pilbara of Western Australia. Rodney Rivers is concerned. The voice is dividing black and white Australia and that forgiveness is the answer. I'll bring you that interview in just a moment. Also coming up, Kiralee Smith and I will break down what Andrews, uh, Dan Andrews' departure as Victorian Premier means for the war on girls and women, a war that he was largely responsible for starting, at least in the political arena. And last weekend, I attended the Walk for Life in Sydney to keep the flame of resistance to the killing of unborn babies alive and spoke to some of the heroes of the pro-life movement. All that and more, don't touch that dial. Well, Rodney Rivers is a proud Indigenous man who grew up in the Kimberley of Western Australia. He loves his people, but he's vehemently against the voice and will be voting no. And as you'll hear in a moment, this is a position informed by his deep Christian faith. During the 1980s and 1990s, Rodney and I attended the same church uh, and uh, I briefly attended school with uh, his sons. Uh, I'll speak with Rodney from Perth in just a moment, but before we cross to him, here's a brief insight into the man and
2: his passions. I um, taught a lot of musicians in the Kimberley and I toured once with Slim Dusty. I'm a translator as well, I did the Creole translation for some institute of linguistics. About say 10 years ago I went to Tamworth Country Music Festival and there was a guy there that um, he had melanoma and he was dying. So I sat him down and I, I told him what the gospel was. So I told him the story about the fig tree, that Jesus cursed his fig tree, and the fig tree withered up and died. So I said to him, I'm going to curse the cancer in your body, and the cancer is going to wither up and die as well, you know? Two weeks later when I rung him up, he said, but as I as I was driving the next day, he said, I looked in my um, revision mirror, and the lump on my jaw, it went down overnight. So he said, when I went back to Charters Towers, and." He, said, he saw his doctor the doctor said to him, there's something strange happening in your body. All the cancerous cells are dying in your body. And then weeks later he rang up, he said, no, he said, I'm, I'm healed. Yes, the Lord said, you know, the work I'm, I've done, you're gonna do also and greater work than these because I go to the Father. That you're gonna lay hand on the sick and they shall recover, you know? And so I take the Lord at his word, you know? Because yeah, the Lord doesn't tell a lie, you know? I believe the Lord is coming back for a glorious shirt. you know, without spot, without wrinkle. The whole is going to be filled with His with His glory, and yeah, we've got to clean up our own personal lives, you know, and, and corporate lives in the church, and national, nationally in Australia as well, you know. And I like to see unity amongst all the different churches in Australia, and we represent Christ, you know? and the body of Christ shouldn't be like it, you know, divided. And, and I think the Lord is sad Himself, you know. I think He's really sad, you know? I just pray, you know, like one day that the church will be unified, you know. That, that, that's what the Lord prayed in John 17, eh, you know, that we'd be one, you know. And so that's what I pray for, that we'd be one, you know.
1: Well, Rodney, it's really good to see you again after so many many years. Uh, my memories of you uh, when I was a teenager was seeing you driving trucks and excavation machines for the man who later became my father-in-law. Not only are you a skilled musician but you're a skilled machine operator. How did you find your way from your indigenous community in the Kimberley to driving trucks and tractors in Sydney?
2: Well I went over to Sydney with a, a couple of families from Halls Creek we went over to the mountains, um, to a church over there in um, Blackheath. And I got a job um, in the forestry uh, department for a while, a Christian guy I um, had a um, business there um, planting trees in Bathurst and all around Sydney. So I got a job with him for a while, but then I progressed later on to um, working with your father-in-law, cause he was looking for someone who could operate machinery and stuff like that, so I went down and he gave me a trial run and then I passed his trial run and I worked for him for about four years uh, with Arthur and did excavations for building companies in all the suburbs of Sydney but I had my skills from before that from uh, working with main roads up in the Kimberley building roads, driving graders and uh, my parents and they influenced us a lot because they were good workers, good machine operators um, good uh, cattlemen and good rodeo riders and Stuff like that, and they sang and and they passed their thing on to us, they influenced us.
1: Yeah. You've had such an interesting life, Rodney. It'd be great to unpack a lot more of it, uh, but time's not going to let us do that. Uh, And we will come back in a moment to your grandmother's story. But before we do that, um, we're having this conversation, obviously, in the context of the Voice referendum. And the Yes campaign for The Voice has released an advertisement that basically says we need to vote Yes to give young Indigenous boys a chance in life. Let's take a look.
3: Will I grow up in a country that hears
4: my voice? Will I live as long as other Australians? Will I get to go to a good school? Will I be able to learn my people's language? Will I be seen beyond the sports field? Recognised by the decision makers of our country?
1: Yes makes it possible.
0: Authorised by Dean Park and Australians for Indigenous Constitutional Recognition Limited in North Sydney.
1: Now, Rodney, you found opportunities as a young indigenous man and uh, some of your sons, are they're, they're very successful. One is a medical researcher. Uh, what do you make of this advertisement?
2: Well, there's opportunity for everyone um, like throughout Australia and the, the attitude I grew up with, and I pass it on to my children, you know, um, I, I didn't have a bad attitude against the white men, but I thought, you know, if they give me the same training and the same opportunity, I said to a wife, well, I can beat you at your own game, and that's that that's the attitude I had, you know. And there's quite a lot of indigenous people um throughout um Northern Australia and here in Perth. I've got a cousin, she's a qualified doctor up in Kanara of Stephanie Trust, but she married someone from Toowoomba and she her name's Hagen, but she's a qualified doctor, and I've got other relations up there as well who are doctors. And we got lawyers in Horse Creek and you know, you've got helicopter pilots and people who own their own helicopter and you know, own machinery. Um, on the road to um, Alice Spring, um, beginning at Hort Frigg, you've got quite a lot of Indigenous people there with their own businesses. They've got their own graders and a, a group of Indigenous people putting in the culverts on the road and greater operators. And, you know, so there's opportunity for every one of us, you know, and, and quite a lot of workers in the Kimberley right through the whole area. People got their own businesses and things like that, you know?
1: Yeah, so obviously there's there's plenty of opportunity and we don't seem to need a voice to create those opportunities because they've been there for many years. Uh, yeah. I like what you said about wanting to beat the white whitefella at their own game if you're given a chance, and, and you've certainly done that. Um, yeah. Tell me about um, your grandmother and what happened to her at the hands of white men because that was quite an injustice, uh, as you've yeah. described to me uh, prior to this interview, of, of her life.
2: Yeah. Well, that's 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 my grandmother there. Her name was Annie. Her Aboriginal name is Lajay, And but um, she was um, the, the white of policy. Black and white weren't allowed to marry, but they lived together like they're married anyway. But my grandmother and my granddad, he was white. He was um, from England, and they lived up at Lansdowne Station. And back in the 1930s. Uh, the patrol, the police patrol, had to go around and pick up mixed race kids from different cattle properties, and then uh, put them in paddy wagons and send them to um, institutions like Bulla, west of Port Creek, where the mixed race kids, you know, like father, um, they they had white fathers and you know, and black mothers, but you know, there was half caste, you know, so they had to remove them, you know, and you they called that the stolen generation. Well, my grandmother, the police went to Lansdowne because they knew there was a mixed race uh, girl there. It was my mum. And the police arrived there and in probably about 1935. And my mum was about seven years of age. And the police and my grandfather had an you know, um, altercation at the station there, they had a fight. And my granddad was a good fighter and he, he he belted them. But then he rode up the paddock on a horse to cool off. And while he was away, and uh, the police had to um, grab my grandmother and her sister and my mum and then mask them to Fitzroy Crossing. And it took three days from Landers to Fitzroy, and my grandmother, um, she had a cuff around her neck, um, you know, a steel cuff around her neck with a chain tied to the saddle of the police on horseback, and then her hand was um, tied with chains, and they walked for three days three nights to fitzroy but at night my mum said the police used to um, give them something to eat and let them go to the toilet but then tie their uh, ankles up so they wouldn't run away at night or people might come um, to take them away and my mum used to run along the hillside till she was tired and then the police put her on the horse and then gave her you know a, a ride on the horse but um it, it went for three days, you know, in chains until they got to Fitzroy. And when they got to Fitzroy, my grandmother worked at an old post office there, and there was a paddy wagon coming through from Derby, picking up all these mixed race kids. And they chased my mum, the police chased my mum down this creek on, on horseback and, and dragged her from the hair and she was screaming and they put her in the paddy wagon. And then there was another lady in the paddy wagon called Morty Bedford and they were sent to Mullabulla and they remained there for over 20 years, you know. So so Rodney, um,
1: one would think with that level of terrible injustice to your grandmother and your mother that you and your family would have every reason to feel aggrieved and, and even hatred towards uh, white Australians and, and the government for these sort of policies.
2: Mm. Well, when my mum went to Mullabulla, then well, like she grew up there. Then I was born in Wyndham, but I grew up on Moola Woola, and you know, growing up, we couldn't mix with the full-bloods. So or we, we couldn't mix with the whites on the station as well. They separated us. But um, in 1955, that same um, cattle property, uh, government institution, was sold to a private guy. Uh, the government sold it to them, and the guy gave us 24 hours. There was about two or three hundred Indigenous people. On the property that was taking their stolen generation and they gave us 24 hours to leave the property. So we went into horse Week and then as time progressed, I was on the back of a truck going to Fitzroy with about maybe 10 or 20 other kids and my mum was on the truck as a nursemaid and a, and a white nurse was on there as well. And as we were nearing Fitzroy, it took about maybe a day and a half to go to Fitzroy and the road was all gravel in those days And um, my mum's face started to um, lighten up and she was uh, happy. And I said to my mum, why why are you so happy we're going to Fitzroy? And my mum said, I didn't tell you, but my mother lives here and she's black. And we couldn't mix with uh, black people before. But anyway, we got to Fitzroy and then I went to a mission at Fitzroy, a United Aborigines mission, and after two years, the word went to my grandmother um, at a cattle property not far from there, about 10, 10 miles from Fitzroy. And then they had to come to Fitzroy and meet my mum, you know, because my grandmother, you know, had to come and see her daughter, you know. And then we we met them. My grandmother came there one or one evening, they met at the uh, Fitzroy River, and it was dark, and they were all crying. They met one another. And then my mum called out to me and my other uh, brothers. And my sister to go and meet my grandmother, and then we all met her there in the river riverbed. But my grandmother told my mum what happened to her in walking three days in chains and things like that, not to have any grudge right against those policemen to let them go, because she said, i I found Christ. she said, I given my given my life to Jesus, you know And I put the Lord on the cross, you know, and the Lord let me go. So, you let them go as well. And that was the attitude of my grandmother. And then my mom, she told me that story a few weeks before she died. And I said to my mom, Why, why did you tell me that story when I was growing up? And my mom said, Well, I didn't want to poison your mind. And so that was the story that uh, my um, grandmother told to my mom, and my mom related to me, you know.
1: That's uh, an amazingly beautiful story, Rodney. Uh, I think all of us would agree that the white men who did that to your grandmother and to your your mother deserve punishment, but that's not the attitude that your Mm. grandmother and your mother hold towards uh, the white people who did a terrible injustice to them.
2: Yeah. yeah. And also up in the Fitzroy area, there's a property up there where my grandmother come from, all her relatives, I saw a picture of it. a, a young white guy who was a jackaroo back in '64 took videos of this. Um, a, a lot of bones been, you know, stacked up in about a metre high with bullet holes in the head. Men, women, and kids been shot near this cattle property, and they are still there. So I have to get um, permission from the station owner and get the forensic team for us to go up there and remove those um, bones and give them a, a, a proper burial. But it was the same area my grandmother come from, but she said, don't have no um, grudge against white people, you know, forgive them, let them go, you know. And, um, so, for, that, so, Rodney, um,
1: I mean, that again is just, uh, it's shocking to, to hear that and, and, you know, your knowledge of those uh, atrocities uh, up there and the people killed at the hands of uh, white people. Uh, why then wouldn't you support a voice Uh, to parliament and changing the constitution so that indigenous people can always have this entrenched voice, Um, you know, it's driven by a desire for treaty and so-called truth-telling. And and obviously there's some terrible truth which we all need to front up to, which you've just relayed to us. Uh, Why wouldn't you then support the voice the way that these um, people who are promoting it uh, would would wish to?
2: Well, in traditional Aboriginal culture, uh, you know, to harbor animosity or grudges or anything like that, you know? And they call it, you know, um, like in Creole, they said, oh, I'll keep you, la you know? That means I've I got a grudge against you, I've got to hold you to it, you know? And other people use the word Leon, you know, I've got you, Lama, Leon, you know? And, but my grandmother had to get rid of that um, attitude, you know, because what an unforgiveness does to you, it keeps you in prison, you know? And, and, and that's why a lot of these um, activists say they've got grudges, because they've got an attitude problem. Um, you know the saying: um, Can an Ethiopian change his skin? He can't. Can the leopard change its spot? No, they can't. You know. And so what we're got to do is external. When we're going to do an internal um, thing, we're got to um, get rid of the attitude that we've got, you know, and that we harbour because it it eats you inside and it keeps you in prison. And in traditional Aboriginal culture, right across Australia, you don't know to harbour animosity or grudges.
1: Yeah, that seems very um, consistent with the Christian idea of forgiveness, although it seems like the makarata that we're hearing about as part of the Voice Treaty truth process, that does seem, though, in the Yulungu uh, nation to to have something to do with retribu- retribution, which seems a bit different from the Creole and the, yeah. the Christian ideas that you're just talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right, yeah.
1: So, so Rodney, um, why are you voting no in the Voice referendum?
2: Well, it's... Um Going to divide the nation and it's, it's dangerous, you know. And um, I think it's it's a, it's like a con job. And all the most of the people that I've spoken to up in the Kimberley and throughout the desert area, and also in the Pilbara Pilbara region, they said we don't want want that voice. We're already united with white people, you know. And there are a lot of mixed race people right through Australia, you know. Even today, up in the Kimberley, you got you know all mixture uh, of people all you know united, and and we've got no grudges. You know, we don't hold the white people, what they did in the past. You know, we forgive them, you know, forgave them for what happened. You know, We, we don't hold anything against them. And we're all united and we're working together and, you know,
1: yeah. What, what do you think then is motivating uh, the, the people who are promoting The Voice? Uh, what's really behind then if, if the, the people in the desert and the Kimberley um, don't hold grudges against white people, uh, they've had opportunity, people like yourself have had opportunities from the 50s and 60s as a young man to get ahead in Australia and your sons have done well. Uh, what What then do you think is the motivation of those promoting The Voice?
2: Hmm. I suppose it's, it, um, probably there's quite a lot of things behind it, you know, but I think it's, it's demonic anyway, you know, Wh- whatever it is, but it's satanic. and
1: What what do you mean by that,
2: Rodney? Well, um, well, well we were fighting for Australia at the, at the moment, you know, and this land is, and, and the Indigenous people up in the Kimberley know that too, it's the property of divine ownership, you know, and we're only custodians here. We're supposed to look after this country, you know, not uh, worship it and things like that, you know? yep. and...
1: Yes, yeah, so there's um, aspects of indigenous spirituality, uh, I guess what we'd call pantheism, worship of, of nature, that's still yeah. tied up in uh, aspects of indigenous culture and that, that's part of what's driving uh, uh, the voice and uh, this idea for um, keeping people yeah. tied to country, etc. I suppose. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And last week I think a group of um, indigenous people, quite a lot, went to Uluru, um, Christian people went there from Kimberley to Pilbara and uh, different areas of Australia and they re- had to repent, you know, for this country and for their bloodline and I think they go to Israel now, I think, yeah, mm. but Christian people are, you know, yeah, giving people and they had a meeting there last week at Uluru, you know.
1: Well, Rodney, I I think we all want to see a way forward uh, for Indigenous people. And as as you say, you've grown up um, in in communities, Indigenous communities, where black and white uh, have got on well and where there's been opportunities for black people. And uh, we know that there are many people who live in disadvantaged circumstances. We all want to see that change. But I think you've shown us a glimpse of perhaps a better way forward, and that is through a pathway of forgiveness. And if the example of your mother and your your grandmother mm. and yourself uh, in the face of terrible atrocities yeah. and injustices, uh, I think you've really showing us uh, the way forward because um, there doesn't seem to be any other way unless we can come to that place of forgiveness.
2: Yeah and, and, and we don't have to voice, we don't have to have a voice in the in the constitution to tell us what to do. We're already doing that, you know, mm. And, mm. but I think there's something behind it, you know, mm. that we all need to wake up to, you know, yeah, that it's not right, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. No, very good. Well, Rodney Rivers, I really appreciate you sharing uh, your story today, the story of your life and uh, those personal stories of your family. And um, thanks for contributing to this discussion here today on ADH-TV.
2: Thank you, glad you.
0: That rally
2: was a nasty,
0: hateful event long before anyone offered up the Nazi salute. Right, be really clear about this. Uh, and and you might say that the Liberal Party, you know, are increasingly becoming a nasty, hateful little rabble. Why would you make? Why would you make it harder for trans Victorians?
1: Well, joining me as always on a Friday is Kiralee Smith, the spokeswoman for Binary Australia. Kiralee, the man who really politicised for the first time the whole gender fluid uh, craze was Daniel Andrews and he's now gone. What legacy for girls and women and children does he leave?
4: absolutely atrocious Lyle he's never stood up for girls and women he has championed things like self-ID he's always uh, championed males who appropriate female stereotypes over actual women and he's gone on to defame women like Moira Deeming and Angie Jones who attended uh, and Kelly J Keane who attended that let women speak rally so utterly appalling and there's no surprise for me that there were thousands of people on Victorian Parliament House steps this week celebrating his his, um, his departure from Parliament
1: House. Yeah, that's right. Um, look, he has left a, a terrible legacy. He's the one who introduced the whole so-called Safe Schools Program, which teaches little children uh, that their gender is fluid. He brought the drag queens into Parliament House to read to children. And of course, that uh, bit of footage we just saw there was uh, him talking about that rally, the Let Women Speak rally that you just referenced. And um, that's a great segue to Moira Deeming, uh, who, you know, is, is a victim of, essentially, uh, Dan Andrews' misogyny against women. Um, so the Victorian Liberal Upper House MP, expelled by the Liberal Party for standing up against Daniel Andrews' gender fluid ideology, um, has now launched a crowdfunding website this week so she can get justice after being called a Nazi falsely by her leader, John Pasuto. Uh, what do, what do why is this so important that we support this, uh, Kiralee?
4: Yeah, look, it is so important to go to defendingdeeming.com because Moira Deeming is what you see is what you get. You see her in public life. She's exactly the same in private life where she is a very compassionate, a considerate thought for woman who simply wants to stand up for the rights of all women and girls regardless of their political persuasion, their ethnicity, their social status in life. She is the real deal and she has been dragged through the mud by John Persuto and uh, Daniel Andrews and she needs to defend herself in court. She needs to have this victory for all women and girls because it's unacceptable that these men, these leaders, think that they can just throw away lines like Nazi sympathiser um, and destroy women's reputations, uh, really hinder her career, although hopefully let's hope that it's, uh, will help her career long-term. Uh, and it's done, you know, in t- in immeasurable damage to her, her family, uh, you know, her safety, her dignity, all of those things. So I stand with Moira 100% and really implore others to do the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we saw that footage um, just at the start of the segment of Daniel Andrews, and you see how vitriolic and, and hateful he is towards Towards the idea that uh, women and girls should have rights to their safe spaces. Um, that was him talking about that very incident. And, and the tragedy is that Moira's leader, John Pasciutto uh, took his cue from Dan Andrews press conference that we just saw there. So, uh, so important that we defend her. Uh, Kiralee, speaking of people who are under attack, uh, we, we've obviously talked a lot about your case, uh, as we did last week. But um, in the news this week, uh, some more revelations about the Tickle versus Giggle case. Uh, Sal Grover, who's a friend of yours and uh, someone I've come to know recently as well. But uh, the Australian Human Rights Commission has weighed in on that case. Uh, what's happened?
4: Well, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, Anna Co- Cody, um, has said that people can change their sex and that there is virtually no distinction between sex and gender identity. And uh, Sal's case is going to the federal court because she uh, discriminated, supposedly, against a male who identifies as a woman and wanted access to her female-only app. And they are—they will be arguing that sex, comma, gender identity are in direct opposition to one another, which they are, because sex upholds biological reality. Gender identity denies biological reality and so you know, the vast majority of Australians know and understand this. We're sick and tired of language being redefined for the sake of a very small minority of people who want us to um, enforce and engage and um, encourage their fantasy. Now, adults can dress and, and behave, you know, within reason, however they like, Lyle, but they cannot impose their lies onto the rest of us, and that's what this case is about. So, Sal has a massive fight on her hand, and when the sex discrimination commissioner comes out with quite frankly they're just lies that people can change their sex there's no evidence to support that whatsoever uh that's a very serious um situation that we now have in australia and before the federal court so um again we need to get behind sal and we need to be uh, really speaking to our politicians because these bureaucrats are absolutely and utterly out of control when they use their power to issue uh statements like this
1: yeah, that's right, this is the Australian Human Rights Commission, the Sex Discrimination Commission from the Australian Human Rights Commission, they are a well-funded taxpayer body, they're an arm of government essentially. Uh, no one asked the Australian people if we wanted gender redefined, and yet these bureaucrats just assume that, and, and here they are using taxpayer resources to support a man identifying as a female who wants to violate uh, a female-only service. Uh, it's, it's quite crazy. Um, Kiralee, what's uh, coming up in the week ahead?
4: Uh, Look, I've still got lots of preparations. for. I have another application of an AVL against me. Um, Hopefully this one will be dropped or withdrawn in the same way that the first one was. And then we're facing NCAT with our vilification um, uh, accusations for misgendering by basically calling men males. Uh, so I've got a lot of work ahead of me in that. And, uh, you know, who knows Lyle, every day the nonsense seems to just increase, yeah. doesn't it? So we'll um, It, it does increase.
1: And that's why we have you on every week because uh, there's something new in this space every week. And this is a war against girls, against women, uh, against the truth. And it's so important we have these voices. And uh, let's remember to be supporting Moira, uh, Sal and uh, yourself over the course of this week. Of course, there's uh, Councillor Louise Elliott down there in Hobart. I'd encourage people to get onto social media and follow her persecution as well. And um, there's, there's, there's so many others more than we can name. Kiralee, thanks again for your time. We look forward to chatting again next week.
4: Thanks for having me, Lyle.
1: Well, at the weekend my wife Wendy and I joined close to 2,000 Sydney siders in Hyde Park at the Walk for Life. This is becoming an annual event to bring people together to remember what New South Wales politicians did in 2019 under the Liberal government of Gladys Berejiklian to legislate the killing of unborn babies all the way up to birth. I spoke to some of the people who were at the rally and uh, here's what they had to say.
5: Welcome everyone, it's so beautiful to see you all here this afternoon. Our mission is to be a voice for the voiceless. Is ending the life of another human while he or she is
0: still alive inside their mother the best solution that our government and our politicians can come up with? Well I'm here at
1: The Walk for Life with uh, Senator Ralph Babette from Victoria. Senator, thanks very much for being here today. Thank you so much, appreciate
0: it. Uh, Ralph, um, tell us about your journey to being someone who is pro-life. It wasn't a difficult one, it's pretty easy. I mean, I think as a society we've fallen very far from God. We've fallen very far from from traditional conservative values. We've fallen very far from humanity, right? Um, It's not difficult to be uh, pro-life, especially in the state where I live. So in my home state of Victoria, abortion is legal up to birth. Up to birth, with the sign-off from two medical practitioners, of course. Now, um, and it's legal for any reason up to 24 weeks. I just think that we, as a society, can do so much more to protect life and to, and to more importantly, give women options. So, give them options. Say, hey, look, you don't have to choose um, aborting your child every single time. There are services in place. There are people that can help you. Um, the government is going to. The government needs to be more. Uh, needs to do more to help these women. That are going through this obvious crisis.
1: Absolutely, um, your state of Victoria, of course, kicked off this abortion to birth legislation right around Australia, and of course, Western Australia just this week uh, passed uh, Victorian-style laws. So it's quite a terrible thing. Now, many in the pro-life movement have um, have, have taken a, a real shine to you because yourself, along with Senator Canavan and uh, Senator Rennick, I believe, um, Antic. Antic. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, Senator Canavan, Antic, and yourself have put up a bill to cause medical care to be rendered to babies born alive after abortion there was a senate inquiry it's been a basically a whitewash hasn't it
0: a complete whitewash and for those that don't know what the bill is that might be playing along at home and watching this uh, broadcast all our bill seeks to do is say if a child is born alive as a result of a failed abortion give that child care now that care could be as simple as a warm blanket. Maybe that care is um, pain relief. That's up for debate, but we're saying give that child care. The fact that you know a child is being born alive as a result of a failed abortion and left to die in a cold metal kidney dish a stain on the collective soul of our nation. That's what that is. We know from a Northern Territory coroner's report that Jessica Jane was born alive after a failed abortion. She weighed 515 grams, about the size of this baby right here, in my hands she was placed in a cold metal kidney dish after her birth where she lay and she cried for about an hour and a half before she died this is how real this is so what was your reaction when you saw the report from the senate inquiry look i was a little bit upset I thought that the Senate should have gone to bat for these, for these children. Um, it's unfortunate but that, about what's happened, but all it does is it gives us more dedication, more fire, more drive to do better and to bring this bill back up again and to keep pushing this pro-life cause.
1: Would you be interested in um, trying to put forward uh, a disallowance motion to stop Medicare funding of late-term abortion? That was tried by the former Tasmanian Senator Guy Barnett many years ago. Um, It it went to a Senate inquiry but then was knocked on the head. But uh, is that something that might interest you?
0: Look, if it's something that's within my power to do and I have the opportunity to do, I would not be opposed to something like that because I don't think that we as taxpayers should be paying for somebody else to essentially, let's be honest, murder a child. It's not right.
1: Do you think if um, Australians knew what particularly late-term abortion was, that they would support their taxes funding it and let alone, you know, support the practice itself being allowed in our
0: hospitals? That's a great question. A great, great, great question. Now, I would would bet that the vast majority of people don't know that babies are being aborted at such a late stage. And I think if the average person looked into it and really understood what was going on, there is very little chance that the average person would support such a thing. And, um, you know, it just means that people like me, people that came to this huge rally today and everyone's clearing off now because they've all started walking um, we just have to work harder do better and make sure that we raise awareness and this bill's done a great job it's raised yeah. a lot of awareness now people are starting to talk about it it's becoming a part of a national conversation again and it needs to be part of a national conversation you're
1: absolutely right and I think all of us in the pro-life movement were just thrilled to see that bill uh, get up uh, and and be aired in the Parliament have a Senate inquiry I'm interested in what um were other parliamentarians who you know are pro-abortion what were they saying about this Did, were, were, when they're confronted with the truth that babies hundreds of babies every year in australia are born alive and left to die do they try and deny that reality or have they now conceded that this is a fact
0: look i think these people live in Total denial in, in my opinion um, they don't want to talk about it they just say abortion is healthcare. They just parrot the old line they don't really want to look at the mechanics of it and I think you know we can debate all day whether abortion should be legal or not legal I have my own personal views obviously I'm here today but what I think we need to do is we need to provide more options for women that are considering abortion and make it so unthinkable for them to even go through with it because they have love they have care uh, the the uh, government steps in and, and supports them there is community support um the community overall is is you know driving towards a pro-life um vision and it's it, it we need to get to a place where uh contemplating abortion isn't even in people's minds anymore that's where we need to go
1: really well said well thanks senator ralph Abbott for your time here on adh tv thank you sir
6: I know there are difficult circumstances that people and women often face and I say to them there are choices. Life is so important. Um, Give your baby that chance because life is always worth living.
1: Well, we're here at the Walk for Life uh, organised by Love Sydney in Hyde Park and I'm with Tanya Mihalik, uh, One Nation uh, member of the Legislative Council, formerly formerly with the Australian Labor Party in the Legislative Assembly. Uh, Tanya, um, why are you here at today's
6: march? Well I'm here to just send a very strong message to all our organisations, our our Christian groups, our churches uh, that there are members of parliament that are prepared to still stay strong on this issue. Uh, I have always been pro-life throughout my entire uh, life, I'm a strong Christian and I'm really proud to continue to fight that. I know it's difficult. We've obviously had uh, abortion decriminalised in New South Wales, sadly, but it's important that we keep reminding people uh, that this practice is inhumane and we need to um, have a strong voice out there to say that life's important.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned in your talk today that uh, this was the most difficult issue you'd faced as a parliamentarian. You've been in the parliament a long time. As I said, uh, you started off with Labor. Uh, You said you were ostracised. Why do you think this issue above all issues evokes such hostility to those on the pro-life side.
6: Yeah, I 2019 was a really difficult period. I, there are people that I thought were my friends within a Labour Party that would suddenly ostracise me because I was pro-life or a, in pro-life. Uh, I would be ignored in the corridors, I would be mocked and laughed at, uh, and often I'd walk into a meeting room and people would move away from where I was seated, which was awful. Uh, all of a sudden my friends were people from the other side of the aisle or anyone that was a pro-life supporter and the people that were traditionally my friends within the Labour Party uh, stayed away from me. So I think this issue is so um, divisive in that way because it's actually women attacking other women. That's what I thought was most sad. The the Members of Parliament that treated me the uh, the worst really were the women that were pro-choice. Uh, within the Labour Party, within the Greens, within the Liberal Party as well, if they were pro-choice. I can't understand that because if they're pro-choice, then why don't they respect that a woman can be pro-life as well? I, I can't understand that level of intolerance.
1: A lot of um, ordinary pro-life people, um, I'm sure many of the people here today, uh, are amazed that laws to decriminalise abortion, to allow abortion, right up to birth, could even be contemplated or debated or allowed through a parliamentary process. Now this happened under a Liberal government, so I want to get your thoughts on the politics and and the mechanism of how this even came to be. So the Berejiklian government in 2019 had control of the parliament, they decide what issues are brought forward for debate. gets to speak, how long they get to speak. Why is it that a supposedly conservative government held the gate open and allowed the parliamentary process to occur for abortion to be criminalised to birth under a conservative government?
6: Yeah, it's interesting because the bill was brought by the member for Sydney, an independent member of parliament. And normally, ordinarily, it's really difficult, Lyle, for a uh, independent member to be able to move a private member's bill and in this case, he did move a private member's bill. Uh, Normally only about 90 minutes in any parliamentary week, um, there's an allocation for private members. Okay, the rest of it's government business. So the idea that this uh, conservative government essentially cut a deal with uh, both the Labour opposition and indeed with this independent to allow unlimited government business time to deal with a private members bill was unheard of.
1: What do you think was going on then?
6: Well it's clear that they wanted, uh, the Conservatives the Liberal yes. government wanted uh, this member's support. They clearly wanted to uh, there were probably members of their own party that wanted to see this legislation passed and they were prepared to cut any deal. There was a cross party committee to support this uh, decriminalisation of abortion and they cut a deal to essentially allow unlimited government business time so that. We would sit there for days to allow this debate to happen. Uh, it's unheard of. The only other time that I've seen it happen was with euthanasia.
1: Was there a risk that Alex Greenwich could have used his power, his balance of power to um, withhold supply or, or block government legislation? Um, did he have them in a corner that they needed to allow this unlimited time for this debate for a debate for an issue as radical as this to go through under a Conservative government? Were they over a barrel or could they have stopped it?
6: I think they could have stopped it. I don't think the numbers were that tight. Uh, They didn't need his uh, support for supply. And I think ultimately they might argue that they were a minority government. They were only just a minority government. There were other independents they could have turned to. It was clearly uh, moderates within the Liberal Party and clearly uh, the Labor Party as well cutting a deal to allow this legislation to happen because they could not have given that level of time in the government business throughout the parliamentary week without a deal being cut. It was a handshake deal, there's no question. A rotten deal behind closed doors that allowed uh, abortion to be be decriminalised.
1: Now, as we've been saying, um, this allowed abortion right up to birth. There were amendments to try and civilise this very uh, extreme bill, and one of those amendments was to outlaw sex selection abortion to stop little baby girls being aborted because they're girls. Why didn't that... That amendment get up
6: I still remember the process we had many many amendments uh, that we were moving at the time uh, all of us that were within the pro-life camp there were so many amendments so I I think I, I don't have the exact number but there was absolutely many uh, we're talking at least 30 to 40 amendments and that certainly now was is, one of the amendments. Uh, and, no, they were working in a group. All of the pro-choice members of Parliament, be it Labor, Greens or Liberal, were all working cahoots to knock back, back every one of these sensible amendments.
1: So did they try and say that um, little baby girls are not aborted because they're girls? Were they just in denial? I mean, we know this happened sadly. And
6: it's all about pro-choice. And they completely... Uh, Brad Hazard would get up, the, minister, the then Minister of, of health, health would get up and, right and just rule out. Some supporting these amendments. It was a horrific process, it was really hard for those of us on the pro-life side. We had some very good arguments as to why these amendments should be uh, supported.
1: So it wasn't even a rational debate. The the substance of the amendments were not even discussed.
6: No, the substance wasn't. You could see that they weren't giving any real due uh, uh, concern or or even thinking of what could be an alternative option. We We asked for time to have committees, we asked for processes to be put in place to allow for, for more deliberation over the, the amendments, and they wouldn't do that. They knew they had the numbers, and they were just going to ram through their legislation the way they saw fit at the expense of, of life in New South Wales.
1: So what should those of us who are pro-life do now? Um, this is a terrible defeat. Um, I think if the public knew uh, just how extreme this law is, I don't think it would have support. We know the public don't support late-term abortion. What should we do now?
6: I think what you're doing here today is great. I think having more of these rallies and protests letting people know that how far abortion law has has come in New South Wales. I think a lot of people don't know. They don't know the facts. They don't know um, uh, how horrendous it really is in New South Wales. So, information is key. Education is key. Getting out there, campaigning, and also making it clear that people should speak to their Member of Parliament, who they vote for. Look at who's on their ballot paper when they're thinking about how they're voting. Make sure, that's right, vote for a pro-life candidate. Make sure that the party they're supporting actually supports people to have the pro-life position in the case of the Labour Party that's gone Uh, and I think think the Liberal Party is almost as bad as the Labour Party because it was a Liberal government that allowed this to happen in the first place. Let's remember the two worst draconian bits of legislation were passed under the Liberal Party euthanasia and abortion. abortion.
1: Now I know you're pro-life. Uh, not everyone in One Nation is pro-life, but uh, certainly One Nation doesn't.
6: New South Wales, because I'm the only member.
1: Very, <laughs> but as you say, it's important for all of us to examine not so much the party but the candidate to make sure they're pro-life before we vote.
6: Yeah. Well, I can say on behalf of New South Wales One Nation, we're certainly in pro-life in in uh, One Nation New South Wales here, and for me, look. I, I, I accept people have different views uh, and I just hope as tolerant as I am of other people's views, that I hope they're as tolerant of mine as well. But I, I'm i grateful that I'm in a party now that gives me the opportunity to speak my mind. A couple of years ago it been very hard for me uh, in the Labour Party to come to a rally like this. I would have done so anyway, because that's, that's me. Uh, but it's so important that we support candidates and people who are pro-life irrespective of their political parties, but we do need to send a strong message uh, to our members of parliament Parliament and to the the government of the day and to the opposition, that there's a very strong voice in New South Wales of people that are pro-life and that shouldn't be ignored, we shouldn't be ostracised, we shouldn't be attacked or mocked. Uh, I I thank God every day that there are people out there that actually value life, human human
1: human life. Well, Tanya Mihalik, I know that I speak for everyone at this rally and certainly the pro-life people in New South Wales are how grateful we are for the way you have stood and had showed courage in the parliament and glad you're there. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Okay well I'm here at the uh, Walk for Life organised by Love Sydney with the organiser Jodie Pickard. Jodie thanks very much for what you're doing today and uh, great to be talking with you on ADH TV.
7: Thank you Lyle thanks for having me.
1: So Jodie how do you feel uh, today has gone? Looks there's a terrific vibe here. You've just finished the march. You've had some terrific speakers. Are you happy with uh, the first hit out for Love Sydney and the Walk for Life?
7: Oh, we're absolutely delighted. It, you know The crowd has come out uh, and the sun's been out and uh, as you can see there's a lot of families which is wonderful. We wanted people to know that it was a safe event so that message did get out and people did feel safe to bring their children which is wonderful.
1: Now you've been organising the Love Adelaide Walk for Life for quite a few years and of course you've just seen abortion to birth legalised in Adelaide the year after it happened here in New South Wales. Why is it so important that we don't just accept the passing of this legislation and move on?
7: Well we really do believe even from the polls that uh, the general community did not want those uh, legislations to go up to birth. Uh, We're actually not for any abortion but um, the general community were definitely not wanting the late term abortion. So the sentiment from the general community is that we need to speak back to our politicians They are out of touch with what our communities want. And from that point, we really feel as though it is just education when people get to understand what these procedures are. And like I said to you on your show the other day, I really do um, encourage people to look it up, to go to the YouTube, to look up Dr. Levitino, Uh, abortion procedures, first, second and third trimester, because we need to actually understand what these uh, procedures actually are doing.
1: I think you're exactly right. If you look at other human rights campaigns through history, and and particularly the first human rights campaign which was the one to abolish slavery, that was a uh, public awareness campaign by William Wilberforce, the Clapham sect, a bunch of Quakers and people who got passionate. But they were able to demonstrate to parliamentarians and the public the horrific conditions that the slaves were under. We've got to do the same with the unborn, haven't
5: we?
7: Oh, We absolutely do. no, I mean the Christians, this is our time to stand up, no one knows more about uh, life than Christians understanding where life has come from and we, we should be the ones leading the way in this just like it was back in the days of Wilberforce
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, um, it, it was if it wasn't for the Christians and particularly the the Quakers who were a bit of a funny sort of a, a sect that people looked down on and derided as a you know enthusiasts and uh, then the Evangelicals within the Anglican Church you know, these were people outside the establishment it's a little bit like that today isn't it Uh, that it's it's almost like these fringe christian groups of society that are driving the great human rights causes of our time
7: well it is but what we've seen in adelaide and even today is that it's across all denominations uh, that there is no really one strong denomination that's leading definitely the catholics have held the ground and we're very grateful Uh, But it's not just the Catholics now. There is uh, people from all denominations that are coming forward. And it may not be from the leadership, which we're hoping it will be, uh, but it is coming from the grassroots of all the churches.
1: How much um, encouragement should we take from what's happened in the United States of America, where they had marches like this, particularly in Washington D.C., but all over the country, and then suddenly last year we saw the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade, something I never thought would happen in my lifetime. It just goes to show that we've got to keep up the fight, haven't we?
7: We absolutely do. That that was historic. We actually saw history. And uh, that's the, only the second time in American history that the Supreme Court has overturned a decision that they knew was wrong. Uh, and the first one was overturning slavery. So to overturn Roe V. Wade. It wasn't just a matter of sentiment, it was actually wrong. They got it wrong and they made it right. So uh, we can take a lot of encouragement from that. And really, at the end of the day, this is just about really the right people being in the right positions. Uh, and it was the same in America, that they had a Supreme Court that was hugely left wing for 50 years. And then when the Conservative uh, side came back in uh, as the majority, that's when it was overturned. So the message also is for people to engage politics It is something that we've probably got wrong in that separation of church and state, what that truly means. But uh, we need to engage all of it and we would encourage Christians to get involved in politics. It's very important we do.
1: Absolutely. It's politics that has got us to this uh, stage. Uh, Jodie, are you going to be back here again next year?
7: Absolutely. This is going to be an annual event. So we'll go away. We'll look to see what's happened. Um, I dare say hopefully it'll be at this same time next year uh, if there's any clash of dates that we work out, otherwise it will be this time next year, but we definitely need to have an annual event in all of our capital cities at the minimum. And then we're hoping our regional cities uh, follow on from there.
1: Fantastic, well Jody, thanks for all that you've done. I know that this is energising pro-life people everywhere. We appreciate you coming to Sydney and we look forward to being back again here with you next year.
5: Awesome, thank you Lyle, thanks for coming out. In the statistics gathered from Victoria and Queensland, 84 babies were born alive and left to die from abortion in 2020. This has been happening for years and it is not decreasing, but increasing. Queensland's failed abortions resulting in live birth have doubled in the past 10 years. It's because
3: of a born alive infant that I stand before you today. I was a general trained nurse and midwife who'd recently gained a certificate in maternal and child welfare. The units charge nurse had informed the staff that a very premature baby was to be admitted from the operating theatre, where it had failed to die in a kidney dish into which it had been placed after abortion. We placed him in a humidity crib to keep him warm and comfortable. To the medical and nursing staff's amazement, he was still there the next day. Hours had turned into days, days into weeks, weeks into months, and finally the baby was discharged home into his parents' care. And I've always been haunted by the thought that there are other babies out there today lying in cold kidney dishes, crying for their mothers, but left to die by a supposedly caring profession. They have a right
5: to live just as we are living today. Ellie Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor, said we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. We cannot give into being silenced. It's the brave people like you here today who are standing for the unborn. We know from a Northern Territory
0: coroner's report that Jessica Jane was born alive after a failed abortion. She weighed 515 grams, about the size of this baby right here, in my hands. She was placed in a cold metal kidney dish after her birth where she lay and she cried for about an hour and a half before she died. This is how real this is.
5: If you are here today and you are facing an unplanned pregnancy or hurt by a past abortion, please know that you're not alone. There is help available. The only child
0: God ever intended to be sacrificed was His own child. That's it. He loved us so much that He sacrificed His Son Jesus once and for all so that we would not need to sacrifice ours. Now, you might not believe that the Christian faith is true, but we should all want it to be. As part of the human race, we have been created to love them both.
1: Well, next Saturday, October 7 is Melbourne's turn with the March for the Babies starting at 1pm at Treasury Gardens in Spring Street. Given that Daniel Andrews was Health Minister when Victoria paved the way for the rest of Australia and and the state governments uh, to then legislate their own abortion-to-birth laws, mimicking the Andrews model, I'm sure there will be an air of celebration that he's gone and I hope that this part, this ugly part of his legacy can be reversed. I urge all Victorian viewers and podcast listeners to be there. Well, the Brisbane City Council's Liberal National Party administration last week, again, lit the Story Bridge and Brisbane City Hall with the colours of the political flag of the radical LGBTIQA plus political movement. Family First agrees with much of the sentiment of LNP Lord Mayor Adrian Schrinner's social media comment, which marked the occasion. Now, this is what he said. He said, there is absolutely no place for hate or discrimination in our city, and tonight we're proudly shining a light on Brisbane pride, including uh, that uh, the work that they do to bring our community together, end quote. Uh, is what Schrinner wrote on Facebook. Now, of course there is no room for hate, but it should never be assumed that those who believe the truth about gender and that gender diversity in marriage is essential have hate in their hearts. While there are undoubtedly some small pockets of hate in our community, addressing this relatively minor problem is not where the rainbow political movement ever stops. It seeks to falsely typecast anyone who does not agree with its political agenda as a hater. Rainbow activists are engaged in a political campaign to shut down freedom of speech and freedom of religion and to indoctrinate little children into harmful LGBTIQA plus gender concepts, uh, sexual concepts and gender fluid ideology. Channel 7's Spotlight program recently investigated the harm Australia's child gender clinics are doing to children who have been indoctrinated by LGBTIQA ideology. I'm currently being pursued through the courts in Queensland by two activist LGBTIQ plus drag queens. My crime was I wrote a blog that uh, said that these drag queens reading to little children in Brisbane City Council libraries were dangerous role models for children. I said it was inappropriate for a public library to host these sort of role models who by their own admission are sexualized personas who preach gender fluid ideology to children. It was under the LNP's Adrian Schriner that the gate was held open for children to be exposed to this harmful ideology. After three years of litigation against me, the drag queens lost their case in the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal, but have now appealed. I could have uh, years of expensive legal action still awaiting me. The drag queens bear no cost. Their lawyers are the LGBTI Legal Service at West End in Brisbane, and they are taxpayer funded. At a time when Schrinner's former school, City Point Christian College, has come under fire from LGBTIQA activists for seeking to protect girls' private spaces and their sports from the invasion of males identifying as girls, Schrinner goes and lights up public facilities promoting this harmful anti-freedom political agenda. City Point Christian College was also thrown under the bus by former Liberal Prime Minister Scott Morrison when it sought to follow government advice about protecting its Christian ethos. Sadly, the LNP, when in government, has lost the will and courage to push back on this radical political movement which is anti-girl, and anti-women, and anti-children. It is why Family First is now recruiting candidates, supporters, and members in Queensland ahead of next year's Queensland state election. The values of family, life, faith and freedom must be on the ballot. Well, that's all we have time for today. Before I go, just a reminder that Family First Queensland Conference is coming up in Brisbane on Saturday, October 21. It'll be held from 9am to 12pm, just a half day, but it's featuring a top lineup of speakers such as Renee Bennett of the Girl Next Door podcast, Dave Pellow of the Church and State Conference, Family First Chairman, the Honourable Tom Kenyon, and Rob Norman of the Australian Christian Lobby. I'll also be talking about how we can build a Family First political Party movement, and I'll be talking about our plans for the upcoming Queensland election. Details are available at the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au. Don't forget to make TV your go-to for common sense commentary from Australia's leading conservative voices. You can also follow me on X at Lyle Shelton, and of course, TV at TV. There's plenty of political news and commentary on the Family First website. Until next week, keep speaking up.